0: First Corinthians chapter number ten. While you're turning there, this is the last sermon in our sermon series. What a disciple looks like. I, I've loved this series, and uh, uh, you know, it, it it always amazes me about God's timing. You know, and started this sermon series. Most of these messages I've I have prepared two or three or four weeks ago and, uh, you know, we had no idea what the events of the past week with Brenda's mother were going to be, but God just worked it out to where this message today really speaks to everything that we've experienced as a family in the last week. And friends, I can tell you that this message today is the culmination of everything that we've been talking about. We want to look more like Jesus. We want to continue growing in his likeness. We we want to present ourselves to him uh, and hear well done. Amen? And that's our reward. That's our medal, so to speak, for running this race that God has set before us. And, And Paul talks about what? You know, we've been talking about what a disciple looks like and I still love that image that Jamie prepared for us of somebody looking in the mirror and seeing the image of Jesus reflecting back at them. But but you know, the reason it's important that we talk about what a disciple looks like and then pursue as disciples becoming more and more like him is so that God can build in us a temple both individually and corporately, and that's what Paul is talking about here in this third chapter of 1 Corinthians, beginning with verse number 10. He said, according to God's grace that was given to me as a skilled master builder, I have laid a foundation and another builds on it. But each one must be careful how he builds on it because no one can lay any other foundation than that which has been, than what has been laid, that is, Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, each one's work will become obvious for the day, speaking of judgment day, will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire. The fire will test the quality of each one's work. And if anyone's work that he has built survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burned up, it will be lost, but he will be saved, yet it will be like an escape through fire. Don't you know that you are God's sanctuary? That is his dwelling place. And that the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone ruins God's sanctuary, God will ruin him. For God's sanctuary is holy. And that is what you are. Man, I love that passage. Now, I'm sure if I'd asked this question, not one hand in the room would go up. Certainly, I know mine wouldn't. How many of you feel like you're holy? Well, most often in the way that we think of terms in, uh, in terms of holiness, we have, this, we have this built-in idea that holiness must mean we're perfect and without sin. God is telling us here, that's not what holiness is. In fact, God knows that none of us have the capacity in and of ourselves while we're still breathing earthly air to become holy no matter how much we've done in terms of making ourselves look more and more like Jesus because John tells us in 1 John chapter 3, verse number 2, that until we see him face to face, we're not going to be like him. In that moment and in that moment alone, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he really is and as we really are. So holiness, while we're still here, is better defined in this way, that you're as much like Jesus today as you possibly can be with the understanding that you need to look more like him tomorrow. Holiness is defined as, as maturity in the Lord. That you are as mature in the Lord today as you possibly can be. And I'm, I won't even ask for the show of hands on that because I know not all of us are there. But that should be our goal. To be as much like Him every day that we live as we possibly can. There's an old saying that goes like this. Just one life will soon be passed Only what's done for Christ will last. I love that saying. We are going to discuss today the inevitability of life coming to an end. Boy, that's a glorious thought, isn't it? But you know, it's the truth. One day, if Jesus delays His return... Every disciple, every believer in Jesus Christ will find their life coming to an end. It's part of the process. Now along with that comes the inevitability that every one of us as believers in Christ will stand before God to give an account for how we have lived the life that we've been given down here. Now, I'm going to tell you right from the jump this morning, this message is not about whether or not you're saved. This message is about, if you're saved, what have you done with your life? Because the Bible tells us that every one of us are going to give an account to God for how we've lived down here. Now, I don't know how my... my spiritual journey compares to anybody else's, but I can tell you this. I was saved on July 17th, 1965. That means that I have served the Lord for the better part of the last 54 years. There's been times when I've served Him more than I've served Him other times, but you you know about those processes. And along with that, I can tell you that There are some things during the course of those 54 years of serving Jesus that I would not be proud to present to him on judgment day. So the goal of my life is to live my life in such a way that when I stand before him on that day to give an account for how I've lived down here, I can do it with my head held high. Not with my head tucked and say, oh, Jesus, I'm really sorry. You see, friends, the way I, I want to give you a new perspective of what Paul has told us here in 1 Corinthians chapter number 3 this morning. God lives in us. He took up residence within us at the moment we received salvation from Jesus Christ. And because God lives in us, For a few of us, there's some house cleaning that needs to be done. Amen? No, not for a few of us, for all of us. There's some house cleaning that needs to be done. But also, collectively, as people who are living sanctuaries for God, we come together into the church, and the church is his corporate temple, the place where God dwells. Now, I don't know why God chose the vehicle of the local church to be the means by which he primarily brings his gospel to different communities just like ours. God didn't give me the privilege of asking him why he did it that way. All I know is that's the way he's done it. And all I know, I know you're saying, well, Terry, you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Well, good luck with that one. Uh, For me, I do. I do, and I think for most of us here, church is a big part of our lives. Technically, no, you don't have to be in church every Sunday to be a Christian. I understand you don't have to go to church at all to be a Christian if Jesus lives in your heart. But again, what I'm talking to you about today is not a matter of salvation, whether or not you're saved, it's a matter of how you've lived your life after you've been saved and that's what we're going to give an account for when we stand before Jesus on that day. Now, this is not this is not the judgment day that determines who goes to hell and who goes to heaven. This is this is another another kind of judgment whereby all Christians, all believers, all disciples stand before Jesus and give an account for how we've lived. And it's a very important thing, friends. Paul is emphasizing that here in this passage today Because the Bible has a lot to say about this day that I'm referring to when we stand before Christ. John in 1 John chapter 2 verse number 28 tells us what I said a while ago. There are going to be some believers who are going to stand before the Lord with their heads held high while others stand before Him with their heads held low. He says it this way, so now little children remain in Him so that when He appears we may have boldness and not be ashamed before Him at His coming. Today, I want us to talk about how we can make sure that we'll stand before Jesus on Judgment Day with our heads held high. Fortunately, the answer is very simple. And I just gave it to you from the book of 1 John. Some translations use the term abiding. Abiding. John chooses here in my translation to use the word remaining in him. To give you an understanding of what those two terms mean in practical terms, when you're, how do I want to say this? When you're not here, when you're not at the job, when you're not traveling, where do you find yourself most often? At home hopefully you have a home, that home is where you abide, right? So when John talks about abiding or remaining in him, he's simply saying that we ought to live in such a way that Jesus Christ can find his home in our hearts, That's his sanctuary. That's where he wants to live. And that means that we walk daily with him, that we hear from him, that we learn from him, and we allow him to live his life vicariously through us. Boy, that puts pressure on, doesn't it? Jesus wanting to live his life through us. Now, the Bible tells us that the degree of reward that every one of us who follow Jesus will receive in eternity will be determined on that day when we stand before Christ. He sa- Paul says in Romans chapter 14, verse number 10, But wh- you, why do you criticize your brother? Or why do you look down on your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. He also says in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse number 10, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each may be repaid for what he has done in the body, whether good or bad. Now there's a Greek word that when it's translated means judgment seat. That word is the Greek word bima. Say it, bima. You can all speak Greek now. The Greek word bima has four different meanings. It refers to one's stride or the manner in which one walks. It also refers to a platform that a public official stands on to speak from. It refers to a medal stand in a sporting contest on which winners receive the medals for the races that they have won. And it also refers to the place where accusers would stand at the city gate, or in our world today, in a courtroom for trial. It's that public place where they are stu- where, where they give an account for what they've done, whether they've run a race or whether they've, they've committed a crime, or, or, or you, you get the meaning. Now with that meaning. We can easily see why the Holy Spirit selected that particular word, bema, for Paul to use in describing the day in which every believer is going to stand before the Lord to give an account concerning the life that they lived or did not live for Him. Boy, I mentioned pressure a while ago. That's going to be pressure. You're called up to the stand. Terry? Terry? How did you live the sanctified life that I gave you? How did you live it before the world? How did you live it before your family? Terry, in your particular case, I called you to pastor a church. How did you do in pastoring that church? Did you do it in your own strength or did you use mine? That's pressure. In this text from 1 Corinthians 3, well, let, me, let me go back, let me go back. When I say pressure, what I mean is one thing is very clear. The degree to which I live like Jesus is going to determine the day to which I will one day be rewarded by our Lord. And every one of us, every one of us who believes in Jesus Christ as their Savior and Lord, are going to be judged according to the quality of life that we have built on this foundation of Jesus Christ. Remember, Paul said, no other foundation can anyone lay other than that of Jesus Christ. Gold, silver, costly stones refer to those aspects of our lives that were Christ-like, while the wood and the hay and the stubble or the straw refer to those aspects of life that are not Christ-like. Every one of us who is seeking to live as a true disciple of Jesus Christ can look forward to receiving a reward on that day. If I seek to live my life as a true disciple, my reward is going to be threefold. These are the three points of my message this morning. The, my reward will first of all be at the end of my life, I will receive the reward for knowing that my time spent here as a believer was well spent. Paul is telling us that it is possible for us to be genuinely saved and forgiven by the blood of Jesus Christ bound for heaven, and yet have nothing to show for the fact that we've been saved. Now, I don't know about you, but that's a scary thought. In other words, it's possible for a person to have a soul that's been saved but live a life that's been wasted. On the other hand, for the true disciple of Jesus Christ, that will not be our story, We'll be able to know that our life was not wasted but invested for both time and eternity. Jesus taught, Jesus taught that we are either contributing to the work of the kingdom or we are hindering the work of the kingdom. Go with me in, on your Bible app or in your Bibles to Matthew chapter number 12, verse number 30. I'm going to read to you from the message translation because, again, it kind of just spits it out like, We'd spit it out if we were talking to one another. These are the words of Jesus. He said, this is war, and there is no neutral ground. If you're not on my side, you're the enemy. If you're not helping, you're making things worse. Boy. How sad is it going to be for some believers to come to the end of their lives only to look upon them and see that their testimony while here, while saved, made things worse for the kingdom and not better? How sad is it going to be for them to realize, by the way, much too late, that their life was a complete waste because they lived only for themselves and not for Jesus? Now again, here in this text from 1 Corinthians 3 that we read earlier, Paul uses the imagery of building a temple or a sanctuary in much the same way that the Apostle Peter uses it in 1 Peter chapter number 2. He says there in verses 1 through 5, so rid yourselves of all malice, all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and all slander. Like newborn infants, he goes on to say, desire the pure spiritual milk so that you may grow by it for your salvation since you have tasted that the Lord is good. Coming to him a living stone, rejected by men but chosen and valuable to God, you yourselves as living stones are being built into a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices that are acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Can I put that in the, according to the Gospel of Terry? There's going to be some things you're going to have to sacrifice for the cause of Christ. Some things that aren't going to be comfortable having come out of the world into the kingdom of God, it's not going to be comfortable. But Jesus Christ has equipped you. He's building you up. He's growing you. He's made it so that you should not be content by staying on the spiritual milk or the basics of Christianity, but that you should grow in his likeness and become more like him so that you can be used in building the kingdom of God while you're still here on earth. He wants you to be a living stone. That means a stone that reflects the life that you now have in you. Not the old life that passed away, but the new life that you've been given by Christ. That's how you become a living stone, and a living stone is how you build the kingdom of God. Here the Apostle Peter speaks of individual spiritual growth as the result of depending upon the Word of God, and then he moves on to the corporate growth of the church as God places individual believers into the structure, and this spiritual house or this sanctuary, temple, whatever you want to call it, is the dwelling place of God and the place from which Spiritual worship is offered to the glory of God. Say, oh, good. Well, I'm safe then. I worship every Sunday morning when I come to church. Good. But you're not safe. What about your Monday through Saturday? Is your life a measure of worship? It's supposed to be. He wants us to be. Temples of worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week in everything that we do, bringing praise and honor and glory to God. In practical terms, that means that if you are an employee, you bring worship to God when you are the very best employee that you can possibly be. That means that if you are a boss, that you run your business in a way that brings glory to God. That's spiritual worship. That's worshiping Monday through Saturday. First Corinthians 6.19, Paul tells us, and we read this earlier, or uh, something similar to this earlier. Do you not know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? And then he says this, you are not your own. You belong to Jesus. Jesus, remember, he's living his life through you or attempting to, and each of us who are believers are temples of the Holy Spirit, but collectively we are also the temple of the Holy Spirit as the church. My point is this, if I live my life as a disciple of Jesus only for myself instead of for Jesus, then I will find at the end of my life that my time lived here below was an absolute waste. I could have accomplished so much more for the kingdom of God. I'll find that not only did I ensure that my personal life and testimony while here was destroyed as a result, but that I also contributed to the destruction of God's work through His church. Now, in other words, Jesus has placed us in the body, His church, to be the primary witness of the gospel to the world. And the ways in which each of us live our lives as believers has a significant effect on the effectiveness of our church's ministry to our community. Now, let me just paint a real quick picture here for you. You come and you hear me preach on Sunday morning. And every once in a while, every great once in a while, I get an amen from you. That's another story. But then I go out on Monday through Saturday, and uh, you may see me at the local bar, sloshed, And you may even read my name in the newspaper that I was arrested for a DUI. How many of you would be back next Sunday? You see, the way that I live my life has an effect on the effectiveness of the church. And I'm going to give an account of that. Not to some ecclesiastical body here on earth. I'm going to give an account of that. Not to some church board, although I probably would, right, George? But more importantly, I'm going to give an account of that before the eternal Creator. Did you live your life as an investment, or did you waste it? And and again, folks, please, please don't miss this. Salvation isn't the issue. The way that we live after being saved, that's the issue. And that brings me to the second aspect of my reward for living as a disciple of Jesus. It's that I will receive the reward of seeing that my life was well invested. Paul speaks of the fact that since he had lived for his Savior rather than for himself, he was confident that there were others who were going to benefit from the foundation he had laid as an apostle for Jesus. Now, I want you to hear this very carefully, friends, because this is hugely important. Paul fully expected... That generations to come after his passing were going to be benefited by the work God had performed through his life here on earth. I'm telling you, friends, that's a question every one of us should have heavily upon our heart who are a part of this church. Are the things that we are building as the kingdom of God here at Trinity Faith, if Jesus delays his coming... Are generations to come going to be impacted by the work that we are doing now? I hope so. I hope that if Jesus delays His coming until the year 2300, that Trinity faith is still going to be a vibrant voice for the gospel of Jesus Christ in liberal Kansas. But what I fear is what so many have predicted I don't fear it in terms of this church, but I fear this statement that the good news of Jesus is only just one generation away from extinction at any point in time. That's a scary thought, particularly if you look at the world in which we are now living. The Bible teaches that the saints above, they're aware of the work of God that's being done down here, and they're observing the progress of the present generation of believers Revelation chapter number 6, verse number 9, John the Revelator says, When he opened the fifth seal, I saw under the altar the people slaughtered because of God's word and the testimony that they had. They cried out with a loud voice, Lord, the one who is holy and true, how long until you judge and avenge our blood from those who live on the earth? So a white robe was given to them, and they were told to rest a little while longer until the number would be completed of their fellow slaves and their brothers who were going to be killed just as they had been. Bible scholars refer to what John is talking about here in Revelation 6 as being the intermediate state, that time in heaven in which the saints of God are living between the time of their death here on earth and the day of the resurrection of their bodies from the dead when Jesus comes. The writer of Hebrews makes it a little bit easier for us to understand. He reminded his readers of this truth with a bit more clarity in Hebrews chapter number 12. Now let me just give you a little bit of context for Hebrews chapter number 12. What's Hebrews chapter number 11? It's the hall of faith chapter. In which heroes of the faith have been inducted into the faith hall of fame. And it talks about all of those that we read about in the word of God that were men and women of God who went through terrible persecution and yet endured until the end. But it not only just includes them, it includes everyone who has gone before who died with faith in Jesus. And that brings us to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us from the message translation. Do you see what this means? He's talking about Hebrews 11. Do you see what Hebrews 11 means? All of these pioneers spoken of there in Hebrews 11 and all who've gone home before us who were in Christ who blazed the way, all these veterans are cheering us on. It means we'd better get with it. Strip down, start running, and never quit. I love that. Now, me being the imaginative person that I am, Here's how I visualize what the writer to Hebrews is talking about in that passage. I can see in my mind's eye, my mom and my dad and my grandpa and my grandma. They're up there in heaven and they're looking over the portals of heaven, however that works. And they're saying, keep pressing on, Terry. Keep pressing on, Tara. You can do this. You can do this. You can can hear the well done if you just keep doing what you're doing. Keep pressing on. Take off all of that other stuff that hinders you and, and holds you back. And get about the business of running the race as God intends for you to run it. You can do it. What I'm saying to each of you and to myself this morning is this. Heaven only knows the impact that our witness will have both today and in generations to come. I don't know whether or not any of you have ever heard of a faithful disciple whose name was Edward Kimball. Edward Kimball was a layman in a church who one day many years ago gathered the nerve to witness to a young shoe salesman whose name was D.L. Moody. And as a result of the witness of Edward Kimball to D.L. Moody, D.L. Moody gave his heart and life to Jesus, and he went on to become one of the greatest evangelists that the world has ever known. But how many of you know, as Paul Harvey says, the rest of the story? Here's where it gets good. D.L. Moody went to England... And worked a profound change in the life and ministry of a pastor whose name was F.B. Meyer. F.B. Meyer, with this new evangelistic fervor from having just been saved as a result of the ministry of D.L. Moody, influenced a person whose name was J. Wilbur Chapman. J. Wilbur Chapman came back to the United States and went to the city of Chicago where he began ministering and eventually came across a baseball player whose name was Billy Sunday. Billy Sunday left his baseball career behind to become a minister for Jesus. And as a part of Billy Sunday's ministry... He had a profound impact upon a man by the name of Mordecai Ham. Mordecai Ham was an evangelist who held revivals around the country, and at one such revival in the state of North Carolina, a young man by the name of Billy Graham attended his crusade and gave his heart and life to Jesus Christ as his Savior. The rest of the story is one you're probably more familiar with. Billy Graham is responsible for having led hundreds of thousands of people to Christ through his Billy Graham crusades. Do you know how it came to pass? It started with a layperson by the name of Edward Kimball who took seriously Christ's commission to share the gospel with the whole world, generation to generation to generation. There's no question in my mind this morning, friends, that somewhere along those portals of glory looking down, you'll find Edward Kimball. He's in heaven enjoying the eternal reward of seeing that he had invested his life for Jesus well. May we live in such a way today that we can enjoy the reward of discipleship to the fullest someday in heaven. And I conclude with the third thing that I will receive as part of my reward. When I stand before Jesus and give that account of how I lived as His disciple while I was here on earth, I'll receive the reward of hearing Jesus square his shoulders and say to me, Terry, well done. I even envision it this way. We've got this stupid habit here on earth. We, this is what we do, so I'm, I'm likening it to Jesus. Jesus says, Terry, do you want to hear that? Do you want to hear that said about you? You want to have Jesus applaud you? The Apostle Paul was confident of receiving this reward when he stood before the Lord on the day of judgment. He tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, Timothy, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. And there is reserved for me in the future the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on that day, and not only to me, but everyone who loves his appearing. That's us. Now, there's been a lot of speculation as to what our crown is going to look like that we as believers would receive I'm not going to get into all that because I don't know, but certainly one thing we can all agree on is that the greatest reward of all is hearing those two words, well done. As I mentioned before, there are going to be some who stand before the Lord with their heads held high, while others stand before Him with their heads hung low. Which group are you going to be standing with? I do a lot of funerals have done a lot of funerals down through the years. And you know those little memorials that they hand to you with the information about the person who has passed? I saved one many, many years ago. I've seen it many times since that day, but on the back of it was this poem. When I stand at the judgment seat of Christ and He shows me His plan for me, the plan of my life as it might have been had He had His way and I see How I blocked him here and I checked him there, and I would not yield my will. Shall I see grief in my Savior's eyes, grief though he loves me still? Oh, he'd have me rich, and I stand there poor, stripped of all but his grace. While my memory runs like a hunted thing down the paths I cannot retrace. Then my desolate heart will well nigh break with tears that I cannot shed. I'll cover my face with my empty hands and bow my uncrowned head. No. Lord, of the years that are left to me, I yield them to your hand. Take me, make me, mold me to the pattern that you have planned. This sermon series. LATELY I'VE BEEN YEARNING FOR HOME, BUT MY HEART HAS ALREADY GONE. WITH EACH STEP I TAKE, I'M JUST ONE STEP AWAY from walking through those pearly gates. And soon he'll call, he'll call announcing my entrance, and I'll go without a delay. For I long just to stand in his presence, and to hear my Redeemer say, Welcome to heaven, my child. Welcome to heaven, my child, you have run the race, you have kept the faith. Welcome to heaven, my child. Golden streets, jasper walls, and mansions bright, and crystal rivers that glimmer from his light. Heaven's glories we will share, but they'll never compare. To that moment that he welcomes me there. Heaven's angels, they're going to all step aside. When he greets me with his arms. He'll step down from his throne just for me and me alone. And face to face, he's going to welcome me home. He'll say, welcome to heaven, my child. Welcome to heaven, my child. You have run your race. You have kept the faith. Welcome to heaven, my child. You have... Run the race, you have kept the faith. Welcome to heaven, my child. How many of you want to hear that? Stand to your feet and bow your heads, Jesus. life is seeing you step down from your throne open your arms wide and welcome me home Jesus I pray that be the goal of every person in this room this morning Jesus that we would not be just content with living dull mundane ordinary lives our ticket punched for heaven But not doing anything to invest our lives for your kingdom while we're still here. So that when we stand at that bema, that judgment seat of Christ. We can square our shoulders and look you straight in the eye. And give an account that will be pleasing to you. And that you will respond with those words well done. You may be here this morning You say, Pastor Terry, I know I'm not living my life to the fullest extent of what Jesus wants me to live it. He saved me. I'm on my way to heaven. But my life isn't going to be a pleasing thing when I stand before him. I want you to just raise your hand right now. I want the opportunity to pray with you this morning. Yes, I see hands all over the room. They're joining mine that's already raised. You know what? As I said, God's got incredible, impeccable timing. I didn't know if I was going to be able to sing that song for you this morning in light of events of the past few days, but I can tell you this. it in a sinful way, but I'm envious of where she's at right now. Because that's my goal, friends. That's the finish line. And it may be a ways away yet, but I'm still going to plug on until my chest hits that tape and I finish the race. You're here this morning and you say, Pastor, I want to do a better job of living the life that Jesus has given for me while I'm here. I want you to just come and find a pray around these altars i'll try to find an opportunity to pray with each one of you who comes but friends this is hugely important it's hugely important it's important for you individually it's important it's important for the corporate body of the church how each one of us lives our life for jesus The sincerity of every heart whose hand was raised, Lord, you're rejoicing that they see that there's areas of life that they could improve upon, that could be better lived for you, better invested for the kingdom of God. Lord, you live in them, and you've not been given a proper opportunity to to clean out the house of all the things that have cluttered that place of your residence and Lord you're worthy of the very best you're worthy of the very best, the very cleanest place to live inside of us so God through the power of your Holy Spirit for every hand of this raised, enable that, those friends Lord to begin living their life as an investment with kingdom values in mind. Touch them and minister to their hearts. Holy Spirit, check them every time they do or say something that's displeasing to you. And give them the strength and the power, God, to improve upon those things day by day. And in the process, to begin looking more like you every day that they live. It's an old hymn The reason I sang that song is because I can't sing this next one without The tears flowing I go back to my childhood when I was a little kid We'd be in wheat harvest or corn harvest My grandparents would have A load of wheat or corn as the case may be and We'd be driving from the farm, the field, to that great big white elevator there in Satana, Kansas. We'd be going down the road and my grandparents would be singing hymn after hymn after hymn. Get to the point where my grandma just couldn't take it anymore. She'd throw up her hands begin singing the words to this song and I want you to sing it with me this morning just the chorus us to run the race that you've set before us. Help us, God, not to compare our race to anyone else's. We're not going to be judged for how anyone else runs theirs. But God, help keep us faithful to run the race that you set before us. Because, God, we know that we know that we know that it's going to be worth it all. It's going to be worth it stand before you thank you Jesus apologize for it emotions are just kind of raw but I, I, I'm not I'm not trying to be emotional for the sake of stirring up something in you I'm saying friends that I know in my heart of hearts that I'm going to stand before him one day and he's going to tell me well done And I just get a little bit anxious when I start talking about it. I pray that you do too. I want to go in with my head held high. Amen? Amen. God bless you.